Hello, and welcome back to Where I Am Podcast, where we strive to create a safe space for honest mental health discussions and encourage women to embrace their unique journeys. We're your hosts, Erica. And this is Destiny. And as the end of the month of February approaches, this episode is an important episode. As you all know, February is Black History Month, so we wanted to have an episode about mental health in Black communities. There are countless struggles that African Americans have faced and are still facing today, from slavery to the fight for civil rights to dealing with systemic racism. Most recently, when George Floyd was murdered in May 2020 at the hands of the police, we were all reminded of the police brutality that still exists against Black people today. And George Floyd isn't the only African American who has lost their life recently to police brutality. Sandra Bland, Breonna Taylor, Philando Castile, Elijah McClain, Alton Sterling, Tatiana Jefferson, and Tamir Rice are among a long list of individuals who have been killed by the police. So with every adversity that we face, it's crucial for us to keep mental health at the forefront of our minds. But there are still challenges that we have to face whenever seeking out care. So I don't know if you're aware, but there are only 4% of psychologists and 2% of psychiatrists that are black in the United States. Uh, We want therapists who can understand our experiences. For instance, a few weeks ago, I went for a walk with my son. It was starting to get dark. He's only four. And he has this thing now about wanting to wear hoodies because my niece likes to wear hoodies. She's a preteen. And he had a black hoodie and he wants to always have his hoodie up over his head. He was walking in front of me, a few feet in front of me, walking our dog. And all of a sudden I had this sinking feeling in my stomach because it just reminded me of Trayvon Martin, a boy walking home with his pack of Skittles who was brutally shot and killed, who had so much life ahead of him, a young black boy, just like my son, even though they are, there is a little bit of an age difference, still a young boy. And I thought about how is the world going to see him? How do they see him now? I mean, think of Tamir Rice. Tamir Rice was, was a boy who had a play gun who got shot down. How is he going to be seen from four to eight to 12? And as he's a man, as he goes off into the world, are people going to be kind to him? Are they going to look at him and think that he is dangerous or that he is a threat to them? And so having that experience, when I go into therapy or I'm going to a counselor and I want to talk to them about that, I need them to be able to understand to some extent what that feels like. If it were to be someone of a different race, they may say, okay, well, you know, that was just an irrational thought and put that beside you. But that's, it's not, it's not irrational. It could happen. That's just an example of what I mean when we want to have clinicians and and therapists, people that look like us. It's so important when we're trying to seek people who look like us, that have the same understandings and same experiences that we've been through. That can be difficult when you're looking at a roster of people who don't know what it is that you've had to experience day in and day out. Even if they empathize with you, they don't have that exact same knowledge that you do. They haven't dealt with the blatant racism or the microaggressions that you've had to deal with throughout your life. It's important for us to be aware of these disparities as we think about mental health in the Black communities here in America. Another issue is accessibility to health insurance. So in the United States, 46 million people identify as being part of the Black community. 12.4 million 
of Black Americans live below the poverty line, and 5.29 million of Black Americans are uninsured. So those are big numbers that really place a, a picture of how how many people really need access to health insurance for physical health and as well as mental health, but unfortunately aren't able to have that. Yeah, and, and not to mention in all communities, but especially in African-American communities, there's a huge stigma around mental health. And why do you think this stigma exists? Although we're talking about it more, it hasn't been talked about in the past with previous generations. And so now it's, we're basically experiencing the effects of people wanting to be more open about their mental health. But I think that a lot of times they don't know exactly how to do that, how to go about that. We did talk to different women, millennial women, about their experiences of talking about mental health in their families when they were younger as opposed to what they've experienced today. So you'll hear them throughout the episode as well. Was mental health discussed in your home when you were a child? For me, absolutely not. (laughs) I grew up in a Nigerian household, and Nigerians have a reputation of being very proud people. And with that comes the idea of we don't like anything that brings shame into our family. So if you are in a place where you feel that you need to go to therapy, it's almost like an indication that something is wrong with you. And if something is wrong with you, it kind of looks like there's a problem. And in a way, it's like embarrassment. And also, um, my family is extremely religious and they have a notion of anything you have, you can take it to God. Anything that is an issue, you can pray it away. So you don't need therapy because you have Jesus. It was discussed as a, when I was a child, but also it was more so indirect. It isn't as open as it is now. It was more so like a reference to certain family members that went through traumatic experiences that behaved in a certain manner and had to take certain certain medications to help them control how they felt. Or, you know, there was a mental health moment when I was in undergrad where my mom decided to check herself into a facility for some work stress. So I think that because there's been different elements and different family members that were dealing with certain issues that it was discussed, but I don't feel like it was openly discussed like amongst friends. And I can't recall ever hearing a cousin or anybody else really talking about it. It was kind of just like within my household. No, we did not directly discuss mental health. Although we did have family members that dealt with mental illnesses, they were diagnosed with diseases such as bipolar. So that's how we were exposed. If we did not have these individuals that dealt with these diseases, I'm not sure we would have discussed mental health issues at all growing up. So we learned about mental health from the caretaker perspective. I was exposed to mental health, but not directly as far as seeking care for myself as an adolescent. It was not talked about as a preventive measure in the same regard as our physical health. So we went to the yearly checkups, the physical, you know, appointments, eye appointments, but we never really scheduled time for therapy or talk sessions in that regard. So it was not understood that the physical and mental are connected. 
So I think there's a variety of reasons why the stigma exists. First off, I think people don't want to be labeled. They don't want to be labeled with depression or anxiety because that could equate to other things. Maybe being depressed and you don't have the strength to get up on a day-to-day and you're really just bogged down. People can equate that as you being lazy, even though that's not what it is at all. Or could even think of you as being crazy for having certain mental health issues. And so they don't want to be associated with these specific types of labels. I also think culturally, if we look at the U.S. and the culture, this hustle culture that we have, where people have to be on their grind at all times in order to see progress, in order to stay focused, that's what you hear about all the time, is that you have to be moving 24-7 in order to reach your goals. Although I think that that is important to be diligent in the things that you want to achieve, it can be exhausting. It can be really draining. There's so many things going on. And as we mentioned before, so many things that we're experiencing in the black community that you do need a rest. You do need to take time to check in on your mental health. And I think there's such a, such a huge stigma because you want to be a part of that grind and that hustle and don't always want to have to admit that you need a break. And as far as the African-American culture, I think there are a lot of families who they do want to pray those mental health issues away. They don't fully believe that those mental health issues exist. And they believe if you pray, if you go to church and you find God, then you won't be having those certain problems. I personally, even as a Christian, don't believe that that's the right way of thinking because you have to use the tools that are available to you in order to solve the issues that you need to solve. Dealing with bipolar or depression or anxiety or schizophrenia, it won't just go away. Sometimes you do need to have to take medication. Sometimes you do have to take, maybe it's behavioral therapy or do different things to get on the right track. And so you can't just only believe that prayer is the only thing that you need to do. Although it can be great to have that, of course, in conjunction with other tools. Lastly, I think shame plays a huge role in why there's such a huge stigma around mental health in the black community. That idea that you're unworthy, that you're unworthy because you are experiencing these issues and maybe thinking, why am I going through this and other people aren't? When the case may be, that they are going through it, they're just not talking about it. Mm, Yeah, that's big. So there is a woman named Brene Brown. She is um, a shame researcher. So she did find that um, shame is the number one emotion that her mental health clients feel, exceeding any other emotions such as anger, fear, grief, and anxiety. And so... I can identify with that in previous episode where I discuss about my career path that I I felt immense shame when having discussions about not enjoying my own job. And I kept that to myself for a long time. So I can I can identify how that is the biggest emotion because we keep it to in ourselves. So with, any, with everything that's said, do you think things are getting better? So, yes, this, um, I think just where we are today in this new day and age, people are more outspoken about therapy and how it actually helps heal people. And I think back then, when my parents were growing up, they didn't know that. They weren't aware. Um, Everyone just kind of had to go with 
the culture that they grew up in. So that's not something they were familiar with. So that was not something that they did. And now that more people are speaking up about it in this, um, you know, the 21st century, I think it's something that's become a more um, appreciated the resources are out there. People are seeing people benefit from it. So um, it's definitely something that it took generations and it did take time for people to gravitate to. I know that it had a negative connotation in our communities, but nowadays when more people can proudly say and openly say that they're getting help, they're seeking therapy, they're going to a therapist, it makes other people say it. Well, if they're doing it, I can do it too. If nobody's judging them, they probably won't judge me. And the more people that can be open and honest about their experiences, um, it'll make other people more comfortable to be able to go seek that same help as well. I would say yes. I feel like in today's society, mental health is openly discussed and even, um, you know, like for instance, like living in LA, I actually follow this one group called Walk Good LA and they discuss actively mental health and wellness within the Black community and focusing on peace and overall just feeling good and, you know, um, educating people of color. I feel like Black people now compared to when I was growing up are focused on tackling the harder conversations that we weren't able to discuss as kids. Honestly, in the Black community, sometimes as much as we are liberalists and we do so many different things, we also are are a little conservative in our views and perspectives on things. And oh no, you know, some people like, oh, you can just pray it away. Uh, mental health issues cannot be prayed away. Yes, I do believe faith can come into the picture. And yes, you should have a strong faith base, whatever that may be. But I do believe that if there's a mental health crisis, there is help out there and we should be able to access that help without being stigmatized. Yes, I definitely see a difference in the acceptance of mental health and being intentional and maintaining a peaceful lifestyle, understanding our triggers and coping mechanisms, as well as seeking treatment and med medicine for these issues like anxiety. Previous generations, I believe, were unaware of the need of treatments of mental health. I, I think Black people did not have the time to focus on these issues because previous generations got married and had kids earlier. Now current generations are you know, delaying marriage and children, so they have more time to focus on self where previous generations honestly did not have the time to even really focus and understand their own individual mental health. I actually do think that we're going along the right path in some ways. More conversations are being had. I'm hearing more people in my generation talking about mental health and how they feel and the fact that they're going to therapy or counselor or our last episode was about paths to healing. And even if they're not seeking out therapy or a counselor, they're trying to find ways, journaling, physical exercise, finding ways in order to cope and deal with the things that are going on within and going on within their lives. So that's a huge deal. And that's really important. 
And there are also people right now who are doing things to make things better. So for instance, Dr. Joy Harden Bradford. She has her own podcast, blog, and on her website, she includes a directory for black therapists so that women can go and find black therapists in their area so they don't have to search any further. They have this whole directory there for them to find people that understand their experience. So that's amazing. There's another organization called BEAM, Black Emotional and Mental Health Collective, where they provide services for mental health. And then I'm sure a lot of us know actress Taraji P. Henson. She's been talking about mental health a lot and her struggle with depression and anxiety and doing interviews about her foundation called the Boris Lawrence Henson Foundation based after her father. So people are talking about it. There are definitely more conversations being had. But there is work that needs to be done. So for instance, the research shows that among the youngest children between ages 5 and 12, Black youth are approximately two times more likely to die by suicide than their white counterparts. So that's a huge deal that these young kids, I mean, the ages of 5 and 12, I can't even imagine how a 5-year-old would even know how to commit suicide. So the fact that they are at a high rate and a high suicide level, it's really, it's just so sad. And that black students also have a higher rate of suicide attempts when compared to white and Hispanic counterparts. So I do think there are more things that can be done. Even my niece, she's 12. She has a lanyard that she wears. It has her school ID. And on one side, it has her picture and her name and everything. And on the other side, it has suicide information. So even just thinking about the fact that they have that right there for the kids at her age to access, it's good. But it's showing you that they have it there because there's a problem. Because they know that students at that level need help managing their mental health issues and managing these certain thoughts. And so... At one hand, I'm glad that it's there for them, that they have that resource, but knowing why it's there makes me really sad. But there are there are a variety of things that you can do to help, and I think that's the most important thing, realizing what we can do to get better. So what we can do is be aware of the language that we use around mental health illness. A more common phrase would be crazy or a label crazy. Um, another one would be died by suicide instead of commit suicide. Committed being like you commit a crime or you commit murder, but died by suicide that really places a mental health issue instead of saying that this person committed a horrible crime. That is a really important point to make. The types of verbiage we use, the way we describe certain things, we need to be mindful because it could have a negative connotation to sit there. And I know a lot of times we do say, oh, that person's so crazy or this or that. But if you know that that person has a mental illness and then you're associating them with being crazy, that's that's not a positive thing that we need to be doing. I mean, in addition to changing the language that we use, we need to be aware of our own attitudes and the beliefs that we have in the Black community. When something's going on, maybe with the children in our lives, with our own children, Are we quick to anger? Are we quick to frustration when they may be going through something emotionally or having a tough moment? Or do we give them the language again to be able to talk about what's going on with them, how they feel? Even my son at school, they sent home a paper or an email talking about that they are teaching them about their emotions and being sad and angry and happy so that they have the language, even at that young age, at four, to be able to express those emotions. I know some people that are well into their adulthood that cannot express their emotions. So I think even that is important and making sure that we're not holding certain biases. 
and just negative assumptions about people because of what they're going through. To end the show, we wanted to give you the recommendations for a few people that you could follow in the Black community to help you along the way in your mindfulness and mental health journey. So one good podcast is called Balanced Black Girl by Les Alfred. And another one I mentioned her previously in the episode, it's called Therapy for Black Girls by Dr. Joy Harden Bradford. If you want to follow a great yoga instructor on Peloton, if you have the Peloton app, Dr. Chelsea Jackson Roberts has great classes. They are themed. And so I know I did one class with Janelle Monet, for instance, where she plays her music throughout the class and then also talks about different facts and how she came came to be in her current career. And then lastly, Alex L. After the Rain. So it's a book that... Um, is supposed to guide you along your self-care and self-love journey. So it's a, it'll give you a chance to reflect in a, your own experiences. Okay, well, great. Check those people out. Give them a follow, and they are sure to brighten your, your news feed and your timeline. <laughs> Thank you again for listening, and be sure to subscribe and follow us at Where I Am Podcasts. If you want us to discuss a specific topic, you can also email us at whereiampodcast at gmail.com. And if you love what you hear, don't forget to share and leave a review.